Hello, happy innovators. How are you doing today? I hope that you are doing really good. Well, alrighty then. <laughs> Enough of that quiet talk. I'm a loud mouth. I'm going to talk loud. You know, here on the Singularity Podcast, as I'm sure you know by now, I drink a lot of coffee. And I talk about coffee a little bit. But I gotta tell you, a while back, a few months back, my wife turned me on to probably the greatest beverage I have ever, ever tasted. I don't know if you have a Dunkin' Donuts franchise near you, okay, whatever country you're in. I'm not sure if they're international, okay, but there's a a coffee shop here in the United States that is pretty much all over the country. It's a franchise that has been spread all over the country called Dunkin' Donuts, and they serve this drink called an iced coffee mocha swirl regular. That's what you would want to order. And let me tell you, it is the greatest drink I have ever tasted in my life. I mean, each sip is like an odyssey. (laughs) It is so good. I think I'm addicted. Okay. Unfortunately, there are a lot of calories in uh, this iced coffee from Dunkin' Donuts, but I figured it was worth mentioning because today I'm going to talk a little bit about coffee. And the meaning of coffee, especially like in American culture, because coffee is really a staple here in the United States. I mean, we probably consume more coffee in the United States than any other country in the world. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. I don't know for sure, okay, but it's pretty much the common drink of choice for Americans in the morning. And throughout the day even, okay? And, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing, really, you know? Um, Why, you ask? Because, you know, there's a history with America and coffee that I find to be pretty interesting, okay? And you're probably wondering what I'm talking about. Well, here's what I'm talking about. Back in the day, before America seceded from England, before the Revolutionary War, tea was a very common drink, from from what I understand, okay? And still is in England and probably Europe. I don't know. I've never been to England or Europe, but I can imagine that... Um, tea is probably still very popular there. It's almost kind of like a stereotype I think that Americans have of the British, you know, that they drink tea. It's what they drink. And back in the day, uh, back in the day before the American Revolution, tea was a common drink in England. And for the people who were kind of ready to break away, you know, planning their secession from England and the crown, um, it's reported, at least historically, that they would drink coffee 
rather than tea. And from what I understand and from what history tells me, it was in those coffee shops, those really early coffee shops that were considered to be kind of of a lower standard. Coffee drinking was not popular, okay? Tea drinking was. So in these coffee shops back in the day, back in ye old England, right? Before the Revolutionary War, these thinkers would get together, you know, these, these revolutionaries, and they would drink coffee. And it doesn't surprise me at all that the ideas of the revolution were born in these coffee shops by these people who were getting really wired on caffeine. You know, they were like flipping out and they were having these major like revelations and brainstorming and coming up with new ideas and things like that. And I think that is really funny. You know, it's to me, it makes me laugh, but I can kind of see why coffee became so important to America. You know, it was part of the inspiration of what would become the United States of America, right? Do you follow me? So I think about that a lot and I laugh about it a lot too because, you know, I guess it would take something like caffeine and coffee to really (laughs) get the motor running, you know, and really turn people on intellectually and you know, cause them to act, you know, to <laughs> to flip out and like <laughs> break away. And I think, I mean, I'm not sure because it's just my opinion, but I think that that's why coffee has remained popular in the United States. You know, it's like the fuel of our country for each individual, you know, a cup of coffee, two cups of coffee in the morning And, you know, you're ready to go, man, you know. The brain juices are flowing and uh, your heart is racing. You're ready to go. You're, you know, you're ready to get to work. And uh, I think that that is a lot more important than most Americans even realize. So, in a way, you know, drinking coffee to me in some strange way is like a form of patriotism that's how I see it like it's linked to my patriotism like we're American we drink coffee and yes of course we do drink tea we drink everything especially a lot of alcohol okay but coffee you know coffee like even people who don't drink alcohol might drink coffee you know and it's that caffeine It's that buzz, it's that rush that makes America what it is, for better or for worse, you know? Um, So I figured that that was worth mentioning. You know, since I started doing the Singularity podcast and maybe even the Snowflake 33 podcast, just little by little over time, you know, I've come to this conclusion. And that conclusion is that really... Because my audience is so small and in a way kind of intimate. You know, I talk to the people who listen, you know, 
I answer their comments and I listen to them and they interact with me. And that's happened more and more as time goes by. And it's really kind of a small little tribe of people that are tuning in. And you know who you are, you know, the regulars, the people who are listening to this podcast regularly. And while that is a small number, you know, the happy innovators, that small amount of people, um, it's something that I have noticed and I pay attention to and I'm grateful for. So I suppose, you know, rounding the bend on the 50th anniversary and everything, I should really kind of take a moment to really just say thank you to all you happy innovators, the ones who have tuned in, you know, uh, whenever I release a podcast. And I know, I know, I know it's been irregular and kind of sporadic sometimes. And there's sometimes when I go maybe three or four weeks or something without releasing a podcast because I'm busy doing other things or something, but, you know, you managed to hang in there. You waited for me, you know, and uh, thank you for that. I commend you for that. Okay. Um, But another interesting thing about that is because this podcast is international, you know, it's available all over the world. I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of different people from a lot of different countries. And because of something like Google Translate, you know, I'm really able to get past the language barrier with a lot of my fans, you know, regardless of what country they're in, and really engage in some pretty serious conversations with some of them. And one of the conclusions that I've come to over the past couple years since I've been doing this is that the attitude from people that live outside of America, okay, is much different than people that live inside the United States of America. Now, you're probably wondering what I'm talking about, but I'll explain it to you. You know, there's a certain way that people conduct themselves, you know, when they're talking with strangers, okay? That when I talk to individuals from other countries outside of the United States, they seem to be a lot more relaxed in their conversation, a lot more uh, understanding and forgiving, and they tend to be a little more playful and joke around a little bit. And, uh, Maybe even sometimes a little bit weird, you know, to me. But weird is a good thing. Weird isn't a bad thing in my book. Weird is currency here at the Singularity Podcast, especially with my happy innovators. You know, you guys, I'll tell you what. If you've managed to find me through the wilderness of podcasts that are available throughout the world at this point, I mean, I'm just a tiny drop in the bucket, you know. So if you've managed to find your way here to listen to this podcast, wow, thank you. And that's pretty amazing, you know. You got here first. Um, pretty cool, you know, pretty cool to me anyway. So I just thought it was something that I would want to mention, something I would want to talk about. I'll analyze it more, I'll think about it more, and I'll probably talk about it more in the future. But 
it's just something that has occurred to me, really, over the past couple of days, like thinking about it. I mean, I've been kind of feeling this way for a while, but it really kind of came to a head a couple days ago talking to somebody and I really thought about it. And I'm like, you know, the attitude is so much more relaxed and loose. Why is that? You know, why, what is the difference? Um, is it a cultural difference? You know, are the people outside of the United States just genuinely kinder and more patient or, um, you know, you know, it's hard to talk about without sounding rude, but I'll, I guess I'll leave it there. You know, I just wanted to mention it, you know. I'll think about it some more, maybe talk about it later. Anyway, you know, I wanted to talk about this person that I knew when I was very young. And when I was a little kid, I went to a Catholic school, a private school for my education. Um... It was an expensive school, I think, and it was difficult for my parents to send me there, you know, financially, but they did send me there. And, you know, over the course of my lifetime, I've seen like in movies, you know, you you see it all the time, this stereotype, this cliche of, you know, the nuns at the private school that are these really brutal women, you know, just brutal and, you know, uh, jaded and bitter and uh, punishing the students by, you know, hitting them on the knuckles for making a mistake or something like that. And every time I've seen these little old ladies that have, you know, devoted their lives to God, these nuns, you know, portrayed in this way where, you know, it's so misrepresented, you know, from at least from my experience, It just makes me furious. You know, it's so, it's so unfair the way that these women are portrayed. So I thought about it, you know, and when I was a young kid going to that private school, I struggled with my studies. I was never a very bright student and I really kind of just made it through school by the skin of my teeth. You know, I mean, I really did not like going to school, but I'll tell you what, I did like going to a private school and I did like going to a Catholic school and I was a young kid, you know, I would serve mass and for some reason, I don't know why. Well, I I suppose I could probably think of a few reasons, but I enjoyed going to church when I was a kid. I enjoyed going to mass. I enjoyed the experience, you know, and I feel sorry for people who really don't get that opportunity, especially as a young kid, you know, sitting in the middle of a church in a holy space, like a holy building is really quite a remarkable way for a young person especially a young creative person to spend their time. I mean, you have the sights and the smells and the feeling and the holiness and all those things, even sitting in a church like by yourself, which I had the opportunity to do a lot because like I said, I served mass, right? And uh, so I would have to arrive early 
you know, before anybody got there and I would have to kind of set up everything and prepare for the ceremony, you know, for the, for the mass. And, uh, I liked it, you know, I liked that, uh, space. I liked being in it, especially by myself. And, you know, I attended a very big church. The parish was big and the building was big. And I gather, at least from years of kind of reflecting, it was a pretty wealthy uh, parish in the area that I lived. And, you know, I went to school on the property, you know, and everything. And back in the sacristy, that's the part that's behind the altar at church, they had a piano in the back. And I remember being a kid and kind of, you know, having the church to myself, you know, for maybe a half an hour or so, setting up for Mass. And I would often, like, sit down behind this piano and just kind of play around on it, you know. And, of course, the acoustics were great. You know, it was this big marble building. And, you know, you'd hit one key on the piano and it would just resonate throughout the entire building. So I spent quite a bit of time, you know, sitting there playing the piano before Mass. And it was just, you know, when I look back on it, it was really a great experience, you know. And I'll do a podcast about that church experience later. But for now, I want to go back to this original idea that I had started with talking about these nuns and going to this private school and everything. Now, I mentioned to you that I struggled in school, right? Well, there was a nun that was at that school that taught me. She was my teacher, okay? And she happened to be a friend of my mother's, okay? They had known each other and they were friends. And this nun, okay, took me under her wing, okay, as a teacher, as an educator. Um, She and my mother agreed that I would go to summer school, like a private summer school, with this nun, okay? And that's what happened, you know? And I forgot about this. To be honest with you, I really did. Until, you know, every once in a while that file folder opens up and in your brain and you start to remember things like this that happened, but they happened so long ago that you forgot, right? Well, really, when I look back on it now, it's really kind of amazing that that someone would take that much interest in me, you know, to care about me enough and my education, you know, to teach me math, you know, because that's what she was teaching me, you know. And every other day for maybe three weeks in the summer, you know, Sister Mary Thomas, that was her name, Sister Mary Thomas, very nice lady, you know, very, (laughs) a very progressive nun, I suppose, looking back on it. You know, she wasn't very traditional. She didn't wear the traditional habit of a nun. She wore like a skirt, you know, um, modest clothing, but not the traditional habit of a nun, which, you know, that's okay. I have my opinions about that kind of thing now. But back in the day, you know, they were trying it out. They wanted to see how that would work. But um, anyway, I digress. My point is, is that this woman was so generous and kind to me, 
you know? And never once, like, was she ever inappropriate with me or, or never once did she punish me for anything. She was a sweet, gentle, little old lady who had a really great sense of humor, you know? And I always kind of wonder, I guess, why it is that, well, I guess I don't really wonder. I know why. But, you know, they portray these nuns, these little ladies that are really sweet and gentle, you know, and have devoted their lives to something as serious as God. You know, they've devoted their whole life, their whole being to God. They never put it down. And so often they're portrayed to be like monsters and animals, you know, but they weren't. They weren't. The nuns that I grew up with, the nuns that were in my life every weekday, you know, during the school week, the ones I interacted with, the ones who taught me, okay, these were magnificent women and they were light and funny and happy. They weren't bitter and jaded and they didn't punish me. Now, I have to be honest. There was one nun who was pretty stern. Okay. She was not the kind of person who smiled a lot. She was pretty stern and pretty serious all the time, but she was outnumbered. You know, the majority of the nuns that were in my life as a little kid They watched out for me. They took care of me. Um, They went out of their way for me. And I was just one of maybe like 500 kids, you know. But when the time came and then they needed to step up to the plate on my behalf, they did. And I guess I can mention too, just as a side note, that, you know, I mentioned I was a server, right? Like an altar boy in the church. And, you know, you hear the stories now. You hear them, you know. But just like those nuns that I was telling you about, the priests that I talked to, you know, before Mass, during Mass, and after Mass, they were never inappropriate with me. They never laid a hand on me. They guided me. They gave me advice. They made jokes. They made us laugh. You know, they treated us good. Church, for me as a little kid was a safe place to go. And I would imagine, you know, I would bet dollars to donuts that that's really how it is for most people, you know, for most people who have the opportunity to dialogue with priests and nuns, these people who have devoted their lives to the sacred and to the holy. And let me tell you, Some of those priests that I talked to as a little kid, you know, they were pretty holy people and they were very wise people and they were serious about their faith and what they were doing. They weren't there for party time and, you know, all the other things that we hear about on the news, right? Okay, that's enough about that. I guess I'll talk about that some more some other time, too. Okay, I'm going to tell you a little story here from my past. It's a little bit weird, a little bit creepy. Okay. Um, 
Now, back in like the year 2000 or 2001, I was in that band I had talked about in my previous podcast, you know, the Mort Band. If you're curious as to what I'm talking about, just maybe go back to the Snowflake 33 podcasts, um, the fame episodes that I did, and you can hear the story of the Mort Band. The last band I drummed in and performed live with before I decided to become a studio musician recording myself at home full time. Now, every time I would show up for band practice, all right, I would pull into the parking lot of the building that we rehearsed in. It's a pretty big brick building, had maybe about 30 rooms in it for bands to rent out and rehearse. And we had a pretty good sized room there. Um, So I would pull into the parking lot and there would usually be a pretty large group of people like hanging out in the parking lot, smoking, drinking, talking, you know, all that kind of thing. All the guys from different bands would be hanging out. And it was really a cool opportunity for like fellowship with these people that played music and to talk to them and become friends with them. And everybody was really kind of good to each other, that kind of thing. And the parking lot kind of became like a place for people to congregate in between their rehearsals, you know, it became a hangout. So it was nothing special to, you know, go out into the parking lot and find maybe 20 people or 50 people hanging out in the parking lot, barbecuing, you know, like hanging out and then they would go and practice or whatever. So, so I pull into the parking lot this one day and there's this huge crowd of people as usual outside the building. I get out of my car and it was really strange. Like the lead singer of my band, maybe a couple of my friends, they introduced me to this guy and I swear to you for the life of me, I cannot remember his name. I wish I could remember his name. I know they told me it, but you know, it was like so quick. I didn't even bother, you know, to remember, you know, I just didn't even think about it. Um, you know how that is, right? You know, <laughs> you get out of the car and people are on you all of a sudden and introducing you or talking to you and you don't remember everything. Anyway, so I get out of the car and they introduce me to this guy and I remember he had like a shaved head. Okay, he had no hair. He had, he had glasses. He was a really well-built guy. Like, um, he looked like he was physically strong and he worked out and everything. And uh, he was not in a band. He was somebody I'd never seen before. Um, But he was kind of like coming at me. Like he was there because of me. That's what it felt like, even though I'd never met him before. And my friends made it a point to introduce me to this guy. So I wasn't quite sure where he was coming from, literally or figuratively. I didn't really know where he was coming from. But, you know, we're hanging out. We're smoking, drinking, talking. Everybody's hanging out. And little by little, the group starts to diminish. You know, people start to retreat to their rehearsal spaces. They start rehearsing, you know, things like that. And me and this guy start talking, okay? And we just start going. And as you probably know by now, I can talk and talk and talk. I will talk all day, you know? And I don't get tired, you know? Um, So we're talking and... We're talking about things that are spiritual, you know, and this guy, this guy I didn't know was kind of like challenging me, you know, challenging my spirituality, 
Okay. And it didn't take me too long to kind of figure out, like, okay, I get it. I get it. I know. I know where you're coming from, and I know why you're here. Okay, so you want to argue with me. You want to debate about God and religion and all those things, right? And we did for quite some time. But eventually, everybody in the parking lot had left, including my bandmates, Okay, and they were in our rehearsal space. I mean, I remember this as clear as crystal, and this is the reason why I'm telling you this story. Okay, I remember it clear as crystal. The guys in my band were up in our practice space, tuning up, and they were kind of yelling through the microphone, like, Mike, come on, let's practice. Come on, Mike, it's time to practice, you know? Like that, and me and this guy are in this really heavy dialogue about God and spirituality and religion and all these things, right? Now, I swear to you, this is exactly what happened. You don't have to believe me because it doesn't matter. It's what happened, right? Um, I'm talking to this guy. We're just like talking and it's got really intense, okay? And we're just kind of like, our eyes are locked. We're talking, we're engaged, we're doing this. We're talking. We're really into this. And it seemed like everything around us kind of went into like a blur. Okay, like the periphery kind of faded away. Now, it didn't literally fade away. Okay, but it just felt like that. It seemed like that. Almost like me and this dude had entered into another space, like another reality. And we didn't. Okay, I'm not making that claim, but... It felt like we did. My memory is that way of this event. Okay. But somehow in the midst of this fervent discussion, argument, whatever you want to call it, this guy extended both of his hands out like in my direction. Right. And just for some reason, I don't know why, just instinctively, it just happened. I grabbed his hands. And I turned his arms over to expose like his wrists. And he had scars on his wrist where he had slashed his wrists. He had tried to kill himself. Right. And I just held his wrists in my hands and I looked at them and I looked at him and he looked at me and he looked at them. And and I just kind of said to him, what is this? What is this? That's all I said. And this guy started to cry, okay? And it was the weirdest feeling. It was like there was this moment where we were just so engaged in this argument, and then in a split second, bam, just like that, all of a sudden we're in this other space. All of a sudden the conversation changes, and it becomes something else. I don't know what it was. But I'll tell you what, it felt supernatural, okay? It felt that way. It felt like something was happening. This is an event. This is something that's happening. But I'm not making any claims here, okay? I'm just telling you what I remember. And so I'm holding his wrists and he starts to cry. And I forget what I said to him, really. I said must have said something to him like, you know, well, everything is okay now. It's okay now. Or something. 
I, I don't even remember what I said or what we did. I don't remember how it concluded. I'm sorry. I wish I did. I don't remember. It was like it just popped. It just ended. And we were back in reality. And I don't even know if he went to his car. Or like I don't even know what happened. I do know that I made my way up to the practice space. You can hear the guy, Mike, time to practice. Come on, Mike. Quit talking, Mike. It's time to practice. Right there, I can hear that again, you know, and I, you know, he must have left and I went up to practice and it was just a normal practice. That was it. But I swear that is exactly what happened. I don't know what it meant. I don't know what it was. I just don't. I don't know. But it happened. It was in my life. It happened. And there was this guy, you never saw him before, I never saw him again. Don't know his name, don't remember much about him other than just that isolated experience. That was it. So, I don't know, very weird. That actually happened. Wow, what a strange story. Anyway, I think I've talked enough for today. I'll let you off the hook. <laughs> and with that, this is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs>